evening, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are in this wonderful world, I greet you to Wow What a Show. My name is Phyllis and I am the host. Oh goodness, it's hard to keep moving without declaring what God's word has declared. And that is that the heavens declare his glory, that the firmament shows forth his handiwork night unto night shows knowledge day unto day utter speech and there is no place in this world that this declaration is not heard i go one step further and say as the psalmist also says that the law of the lord is perfect converting the soul good evening tony ritchie it is so good to have you with me this evening I am uh, so glad and, you know, so impressed with Tony because he's he's just here. And I really appreciate that. I want to begin tonight with, of course, prayer, because I'm going to touch on a subject that is, you know, um, it's not new to me, but I haven't done a lot of research on it. So I just want to know, as per usual, what the Lord wants me to do with this tonight. These um, uh, thoughts that I contemplate so often, and I do it almost, you know, in a perfect silence because there are not lots of people around me to talk about some of the things that I have loved over the years. Uh, I didn't just fall in love with classical music. My mother was a singer and my father a singer and my mother could sing very well. And my father could sing very well, but I could not, uh, you know, well, I probably could have, but I was embarrassed early on, and so I would not sing. But I have a sister who also is a soloist. We all pretty much are 12 children, you know, all of us could could carry the tune, and uh, probably more of us would have been able to sing had my mom and dad focused on us doing such a thing, but they didn't. But I do have a sister who was discovered in her uh, in the first grade, I remember very clearly, uh, the teacher could hear her singing in the group, and therefore she was, you know, pulled up to to sing solo from that early in life, and I, I find that amazing. So I must not have been that one, or maybe a teacher would have noticed me. I don't know, but still, in all, I thank the Lord that um, you know around me there was always music. And uh, it was good music, not just classical music, but good gospel, you know. And um, my mom and dad were singers. They sang with the uh, church choir. My mother was lead singer at the church in the choir. And I remember as a very young child, I was way before I was six years old, I'm sure, um, hearing her sing. But I always heard her sing, you know, around the house. She just was a worshiper, and she sang all, all the time. It was, I'm sure, her comfort, and she worshiped in the house. So I grew up with that influence in my life. Therefore, as I grew, I, of course, uh, 
you know, grew even more fond. You can actually see. <laughs> That's right. Through Christ who strengthens me, I can sing. And Tony, guess what I do? You know, when I'm I'm in the house or when I'm at church and a song comes up, I sing with all my heart. You are absolutely right. We all can make melody in our hearts unto the Lord as instructed. I think that's in the book of either Galatians or Ephesians. It's a good thing to do. And it's a good thing to give praise to the Lord because in so doing, we are ourselves lifted up in spirit and we abide for a moment in time in the place where God also abides and our focus and our minds are turned fully towards him. But when I talk about singing, praise the Lord. Welcome, Pastor John Thomas. It's good that you are here. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, when I talk about singing, uh, I really am referencing those, that group of people rather um, in the world who have such great voices that with their voice, they either glorify the Lord or they glorify the world. Um, and, you know, sometimes we judge a thing before it's time and we are uh, cautioned not to do the thing, you know. So when we are are judging those who are glorifying the world, we may miss out on the very fact that they are coming into the f understanding of life and who they are and the gift that has been given them and how it should really be a reflection of his glory. And so they finally turn um, back to the Lord. I, I know one singer who so did. I, I, I remember she has a tremendous voice um, and she was um, in, you know, a, a singer trending on the charts and all that um, and came back to Christ. And now she's, oh my goodness, she sings one song that I love so much. And the first line in that song is, God is truly amazing. And I love the way she does that. So um, that's, the, that's the thing that I'm talking about. So tonight, I've entitled uh, this discussion tonight as um, one, one more series, Day by Day, Living in God Day by Day and uh, Submitting Who He Has Made Us, Our Gifts. <clears throat> to him, that he would really get the glory from it. And that turns my attention towards something that I consider every year, if not all, you know, through the year. Sometimes I listen to uh, music, particularly the Messiah or other classical pieces uh, when I'm alone, uh, alone, <coughs> excuse me, and just, you know, and just alone. I'm by myself and I just want to think on the Lord and these this music will come to me. And so it is with the Messiah that was uh, written. The music was written by George Friedrich Handel. And I, I called on that last week. I mentioned it right and I didn't go very much in it. But every year, this piece, this oratorio, this 53, uh, what are they, recitative, between recitative, chorus, and, and, and you know, uh, songs, full songs, this piece is performed in part or in totality somewhere throughout the world, everyone, and it's 
everyone uh, does this piece. It's, a, it's an amazing work. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. <clears throat> but I'm asking the Lord to get rid of this cough. I'm beginning to feel like I'm going to cough. <clears throat> Excuse me. Please do excuse me. And um, so I want to I want to start by praying um, and just letting the Lord, you know, give me focus. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are the awesome redeemer and you are the one about which, Lord God, we uh, contemplate, discuss, think in in a special way at certain seasons. And this being a season that has been designated as time of your birth, we, again, in the world, you know, especially in the church, we are, again, thinking about um, the validity of such a celebration and those things that surround it. Lots of music, Lord, has been written to extol this birth and uh, this particular piece, of course, not written to extol the birth, but performed at this time of year, most expressly. And Lord, I just want you to wrap my mind around your desire tonight so that I can, Father, um, articulate that which is in your heart for us, your people. I pray that you guide my thoughts and then my tongue and help me, Lord, to align with your message in the name of Jesus Christ. And I trust you to do it, Father. I trust you to do it. No trust or confidence in my own flesh, but totally I trust you to do it. And so I thank you for doing it. And I'm now going to walk into it by your grace and your leading in the name of Jesus, our beloved Savior. And I thank you again. Amen. Bless the hearers as well in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord indeed. Praise the Lord indeed. Thank you, guys. And pray with me. So I want to talk tonight about um, The Messiah, written by George Friedrich Handel. Handel was a great composer. And the, one of the interesting points about this man's life is that as a young boy, this gift had already shown up in him. So we think of these uh, young people who can do these things so magnanimously when they're so young. <laughs> we think of them as prodigies. They, in other words, really as geniuses, they're born to do something and nobody, nobody had to uh, really uh, give them a whole lot of instruction before they just do the thing, right? And it reminds me of my my little nephew and my sister. I mean, you know, they are just showing up uh, in ways that make you sit up and pay attention. This little child, a toddler, maybe two, three years old on my dad's knee, singing commercials in perfect pitch. He can really sing. He can really sing. And... um we try to focus in on these gifts and, you know, uh, give them lessons and that sort of thing and cause them to be who we want them to be. <laughs> we want them to do what they're doing. And sometimes they don't kind of take to it. Well, in Handel's uh, life, he wanted to do it, but his father didn't kind of take to it. 
until uh, he visited him within a in a church or something. And little George gets up at nine years old and is playing the organ and just carrying on, you know. And so his father arranged for him then after that time to have lessons, etc. His dad didn't want him to do it because he thought he would never make money doing it, right? And you need to make a living, right? Um, so he, though his his um, concern was a legitimate one, I guess, for a father, he was not aligned with God's will for little George's life. And so George Friedrich Handel continued in studies and he composed music, you know, from, from early on. I don't know how early it was when he wrote the first piece. I think he was 19, actually, which is not as early as Mozart. Mozart was composing at five or six or something. You know, the stories of these guys is, is so amazingly interesting that I um, go through them from time to time. Then, like I said, I don't have anybody really to talk to about it and I'm not in school. So I tend to forget. And even though I took um, appreciation of music uh, in college and I learned a great deal in that class, I really love the class. Uh, still, that would, that's been so many years ago. So who can remember all that stuff? Not me. Nonetheless, this is just a, a, a small capping, uh, just a, a brief overview of what I have read of late and remember of George Friedrich Handel. So Handel had, you know, gotten involved and he had a commission and performed for the church. And he's in the Baroque period. We say Baroque over here in the U.S. I always say Baroque, but I just heard the British say Baroque. So in a way, I'm going to say one of the two of them, whichever comes out of my mouth. But he was a so he wrote in um, the Baroque period that precedes the classical. And I think so. It was in 16. Uh, hundred uh, late 1600s to the mid 1700s or something like that, right? And so Baroque music has its own style, and then the classical has its style. And along with Handel and Baroque times was uh, Bach, uh, you know, a famous composer that we know Bach. And I think Beethoven might have been. I'm not quite sure anymore, and I hate to give out. Uh, information I'm not sure about. But anyway, that is a music, a period in uh, musical compositions, right? And it has to do with the style of writing. So here it is, Handel shows up and he's writing uh, Italian operas. And he loved it. He loved the theater. He loved the theatrics and the drama that he could produce in the music. Very much like myself, I love the drama of theater. I like the possibility of expressing human emotion and the issues of life that comes through theater. And yet I'm very reluctant to do full-out theater, always was, because they can go in a direction that I'm not really trying to go. Nonetheless, Handel was also drawn to the the um, the theater and, and the dramatics of it. Hence, his music captures uh, the emotion of human experience. He is very much a man who can write music that is quite expressive and melodious, right? So he was um, famous, you know, he'd gotten a great deal of renown and he was doing very well. And then the Italian opera was becoming more and more 
disdained in England. Now, he was born in Germany. He lived and worked a little bit in Germany. And then he had a, a, a commission in Italy. And then he moved to uh, London. And um, he he lived in England, you know, all this time. He stayed there. He died there, right, from early on in his life. And so the English were falling out of, of the admiration of these Italian operas because they had much to do with a decadent lifestyle that the English did not uh, condone. And so Handel began to not, you know, really thrive in this environment. And so... Um, I think his work kind of died down or his fame surely was dying out. But he had a friend and the friend's name was, uh, I'm going to find it in a minute, Jennings, last name Jennings. His name was um, Jennings and he was a member of the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel. He was very passionate evangelical believer. And he believed that putting the gospel to music would communicate its truth, not just intellectually, but at a deep heartfelt level. And I want to draw us into that statement, a deeper level. The arts, as I've heard spoken of by Ravi Zacharias and a few other guys out there, or he's a, you know, philosopher, apologist. And, um, Robbie said this, something I remember, and I'm really not quoting him because I heard this a long time ago too, but the impression that it left me with is that the when you have an artistic rendering of anything, it sort of slips right past the mind and drops deep into the spirit. It goes into the heart of man, right? Which is why things artistic, like performing Art, artistry or even you know still artistry like you can look at a, a, a well-designed building or a beautiful home that has been so artistically so with expression decorated or hear music that has a most beautiful melody or haunting or exuberant or alive right or watch a film that is capturing a very serious um, uh, subject in a very artful way. In other words, it's well done. It's skillfully crafted and put before us. That stuff can bring you to tears. It can actually cause you to respond. And as I was reading up on Handel today, and uh, C.S. Lewis, as a matter of fact, also listening today, you see it's been a day of art for me. Um, I found myself in tears about the works of Lewis, his life, the suffering, and things that he has to say about that. That's another podcast because C.S. Lewis is another one of those greatly admired figures who have produced work that uh, has taken you know, the world by storm, pretty much, and for the glory of God. So as we talk tonight, I want you to c keep thinking on the glory of God. Think on that which he has imparted to you and never say, never ever be guilty of saying, I have no gift. That would not be true. That will be a spoken external voice by someone who does not want you to glorify the Lord, an entity that works hard against us.
We all have been given gifts. The Bible says that he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. And what that means on a deeper level, I will not begin to discuss. But everything that is in you and in me that provides for our thought process when it comes to being having a particular propensity towards something is a gift. And remember that the Lord in the parable of the talents says to the one who buried the talent, ah, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You knew that I was a master who would get a return on my gifts and let you, you went out and buried it. That is not a good thing to do. You don't want to do that. So for every one of us, there is a gift and God expects, will require a return on it. And so Tony writes, gospel or inspirational song are more far superior to the soul and getting closer to God. Music is spiritual food that can influence your thinking, your imagination, your prayer life, and even your emotions positively or negatively pertaining to the kind of words in that song. It can decrease or increase your relationship with God. Absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, according to the, the, uh, the gates of our body, the senses, those organs which allow us to see, feel, see, uh, hear, and understand things. Uh, David writes in one of the Psalms, I will set no evil thing before my eye. You are absolutely right, Tony. Depending on what you're looking at, what you're listening to, what you're tasting, or what you are feeling, you will either be uh, moved into a place of worship or a state of worship or into the opposite of that or just into sort of this not hot, not cold experience, which God also uh, does not appreciate. So that is right. What we hear, what we do, what we say, what we feel, what we even eat. Oh my, let me tell you, we could talk about eating because very few of us think of it on a serious level. I'm so sure about it. But these are very serious aspects of our daily existence. And yet I'm coming back to Handel, who in the in the fading moments of his grandeur, his renown, you know, his popularity, uh, his friend Jennings, they were very good friends, had been friends for over 10 years, had submitted to Handel a libretti and a libretto, which is libretto is simply the um the lyrics to an opera you know the or a song it's called libretto and that that uh, a compilation was all scripture he had himself arranged the scriptures of the old testament and picked up on some in the new to tell the gospel story he wanted to present it in music because he knew the power of music, right? They're living in an era now when classical music is being uh, touted as a fine, a very fine um, musical uh, genre. And, you know, we, we call it classical, but it was really high, highly skilled and composed music. 
as opposed to like the folk music that, you know, when we get together, we just sing a song and we skip and dance. So that's folk music and they, that has its place as well. But this is music that was being composed for a, a church and for, you know, kings and, and queens and all that stuff. So it was high music. I, I'll put it to you that way. And so Jenner, Jennings, I'm sorry, gave this to Handel and told him he wanted them to um, work on it. And Handel had put it on the shelf. He wasn't working on it at all. And I uh, find out that he had had this music, these uh, words, this scripture, this uh, libretti, libretto <laughs> for over 18 months. So that's more than a year and a half. That's, you know, he getting on, he probably hadn't really intended to kind of touch it, maybe. Or maybe he's doing like many of us do. You give us something to do in our field of endeavor, that, that place where we, you know, the, I'm sorry, I hate to use that word place because it's not a place. It's a state of mind where we find ourselves uh, the most interested in whatever it is we do, you know, and areas of our interest, that's even better. So he had it there for 18 months. And then during this, you know, decline in his popularity and, and whatever, he took it down and he looked at it. And he must have received the inspiration of God because in 28, 29 days, he had put to music, scored out completely all of these references, of which there are 53. And not only did he do the 53 references, but he does the um, prelude, the, the, the musical interludes that come in. I think there are two, the Hallelujah Chorus and the Amen. And if you haven't listened to Handel's work called The Messiah, you might want to do that because there are many hymns that paraphrase the scripture. There are hymns that even uh, sing the scriptures in their, in, you know, in pure form. But there's, they focus on one scripture. We have yet to sing a hymn that tells the whole gospel story, uh, I don't think. However, I've got to tell you that hymns sung by certain congregations have maybe four or five verses and they do come from the European uh, tradition and in certain congregations every one of those verses will be sung hymns we seldom do that in our own churches we're good if we get past the first verse because now in today's new use of music you know you just take one one line or two lines or three lines and nothing wrong with that or one verse and just hang it out and hammer it over oh, and let it go and go and go, you know? So we don't really uh, sing all the verses. So you never know what a full hymn is saying altogether unless you sit and read them through. And that's also a good exercise just to sit and read them through from time to time because it is 
either a paraphrase or it can be scripture or it can be testimony of someone's change in life, you know, and it could be praise, the exaltation, and therefore you're singing a contemporary hymn. So it would be good to do it. But tonight I'm focusing in again, as I said, on this libretto of um, the Messiah as written, scored. It was scored by Handel. It was written by Jennings. Written. He took these, it was written by God, but Jennings pulled these scriptures and arranged them so that the whole world, when hearing this work, would hear the whole gospel. I find that miraculous in the first place. The second reason that I find it so miraculous is because as it was written all those years ago, it has lived through every year since. Amazing. Amazing. This piece was written in, I think, um, oh my goodness, I can't believe I don't have the, the date. Handel himself was born in 1687. So the Messiah was written in 17, I don't know, 40 something. And um, seriously, ever since it was performed, it has been performed. It has not stopped. It, it never stops. Every year, somewhere in the United States in particular, probably in Great Britain in particular, I heard an interview with a woman who is a part of the society, uh, Handel Society there, um, say every year, she's in England, this music is performed, right? Um so, yes, let's see. She is Dr. Ruth Smith, a Cambridge scholar on Handel, explained that the libretto was written by Charles Jennings. That's his name. Yes. And that the um, the, the desire of Charles Jennings was to evangelize. He, he wanted the world to hear. And he said he was going to make good use of Handel. He was going to use Handel. Because, you see, Handel had the ability, the compositional alertness or awareness to write music that was that uh, deeply touching to the soul of man. He had had great, uh, he had had great success in so doing, and this man recognized his scholarly or his um, the gift of God in him to do it. And so he wanted him to do it. And that's why he gave him this libretto. Now we're calling it libretto, but it was an arrangement of the word of God, mostly Old Testament prophecies, etc., that are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ and prophecies that will be fulfilled in the coming of of Jesus the second time, of course. 
And there, like I said, there are 53 scriptures. And I'm going to tell you guys, it would be a great study if you would just sit and read through this libretto, if you would just read all of these scriptures and go to the Bible, you know, and, and maybe read more than just the verse that handles set to music or the, you know, the couple of lines there, but they follow in an order that will cause you to, when you finally get to the Amen, which is the last piece, and is it's the last piece after the last piece, which is uh, from the book of the Revelation, you will absolutely want to sh- just stand up and, and, and shout. That last verse from the book of the Revelation, chapter 5, worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by his blood to receive power. He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And therefore, blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And following that, Handel composed a contrapuntal Amen, amen, amen. And it just keeps getting stronger, louder, bigger. Amen, amen, amen. And if you know what amen means, it is. So be it. It is so. Let it be believed, for God hath spoken. So that's the last chorus. And the first chorus, the first chorus, of course, by this, um, the sound of a smooth, beautifully, you know, executed tenor voice sings out the words from the book of Isaiah, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. And then he goes into the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Fulfilled prophecy in the coming of Jesus Christ. Both in the book of Mark, the book of Luke, in the book of Joel. Prophesied, fulfilled. And then if you read, that, that's, that's the number two uh, because the first uh, part of this is a an instrumental that is it it is almost like listening to um, I don't know it's it's calling you that's the it's it's a driving kind of very deep call and saying pay attention right pay attention, pay attention. And then you hear this word, comfort ye. And of course, you know, when I study uh, through the scriptures, Jesus in the Old Testament, as Isaiah is making this prophecy, he's telling the people to be comforted because God has not forgotten. Here, the warfare of Jerusalem, that warfare is spiritual warfare, is accomplished. And that God will... Pardon her iniquities, Israel's iniquity, by coming again, by giving them this new covenant uh, 
word, keeping the old covenant promise through the liberty of the gospel that they might understand that it was not in the law that their salvation was held, but it's actually in God. And there is access to God through the coming of one who would pay the ultimate price for our sins and our iniquities. One who had been prepared and fashioned by God to take upon himself the penalty of death and yet conquer that death and be risen and victorious over the work of the enemy, which is death. Praise be to God. I'm going to give you just a few more of these. I can't take us to all 53. We don't have the time. But after that, we get every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and every hill made low. The crooked will be straight and the rough places plain. That's a game from Isaiah 40. And actually, if you read Isaiah 40, you're going to get the first uh, four uh, choruses from this this um, oratorio. Hmm. And then he comes on to the warning. Thus said the Lord, the Lord of hosts, yet once a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations and all the desire of nations shall come. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And he pulls together the scriptures from Haggai, from Malachi, and from Luke. The Lord does come. He did seek. And um, the, those who, who were seeking him found, they saw him then, and they see him now, even till today. Y'all, this is just you know, I can hardly get through it. Mm. And, and then the warning continues, but who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And what is a refiner's fire? The hot fire into which goes that iron. He's making a purity. He's That refiner is refining that metal that it may be pure gold as we seek. And he shall purify the sons of Levi so that they may offer unto him an offering in righteousness. Again, from Malachi and the book of the Revelation, and you know in the Revelation is just a straight continual warning and showing forth that which God will do. And you know and I know that he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And therefore, the refiner's fire is necessary to prepare us. And there are none of us who are so pure. We have not arrived. I don't care how much you love the Lord. I mean, you know, I do care how much you love the Lord. I don't mean that flippantly. I'm saying that our sin, the iniquity in us, the impurity of our natures, the fleshly nature requires refining. 
so that we are pure without spot or wrinkle, the bride of Christ that we can actually live with this holy, righteous, wonderful God, pure, in a state that allows us to be with him. He shall purify. He shall purify all of us. And then it goes on to the recitative, which believe it or not, um, when I was in high school, I think I was in either 10th or 11th grade, and the, the uh, director of the big choir there at uh, a church called St. Joseph's in my in the city where I live, I played clarinet under the director of that choir. He was also the band director, right? And he heard the sound of the tone and he thought I could sing. <laughs> I was so tickled because I had grown up in a family of people who could sing. And so measuring myself always against that, and they were the only ones that I did, I just said, he's got to be crazy. So I went home and throat. I was known to have them. <laughs> I prayed. <laughs> and let me tell you how I didn't get strep throat, but I got a cold that was so bad. I must have been, oh my goodness. I would go to rehearse with him and I couldn't get a note out. And uh, I, re I regret that till today. I regret it because of all the arts that I would have preferred to be a part of, it was voice. I wanted to sing because I thought my mother could really sing, and I just wanted to sing. It is a beautiful work of worship. It is. So that alto, and he wanted me to do alto work there. I did sing it, you know, with the, I did sing alto with them. I could read music, you know, there was a lot going on, and I'm sure there were many reasons why he asked me, but he, he told me, uh, that it was the tone quality of my playing that drew him to my voice. But the, that alto solo now, it goes, it's a recitative. So a recitative is something that is recited music-wise. It isn't spoken recited. It is sung recited, which is very different than a melodious uh, or, or a tune, right? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call... His name, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7, verse 14, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, verse 23. And just following that comes, O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, get thee up into the high mountains. O lift up thy voice with strength and tell good tidings to Jerusalem. And be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And then it goes from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 60. Arise and shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Isn't that what we see in the telling of the uh, account of the angels visiting those lowly shepherds? Right telling them that they will find this babe when they see this star resting over this manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they, they will see the Messiah. They'll see him. And he says, um, uh, glory to God in the highest, right? And on earth, peace of goodwill 
to men. Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen, but upon who? Upon thee, you, those who need him. It's needed, risen upon you and upon me, and we continue to live in the light of his presence if we know him, if you are praying, if you are depending on him, if you, me, me, I'm talking about, I use you in that generic sense, but I'm really thinking about me when I say you, so I shall use me from now on because I am that person, you see. The glory of the Lord is risen upon me. How about that? And, um, I am so grateful that the good news has been told and that I live on this side of the birth and the death. And that's another thing I want to say. This was not written to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. It is not a Christmas oratorio. Jennings wrote this for the Easter. He wanted the whole gospel to be preached for Easter. Because Easter is the only New Testament holiday that was given. Jesus Christ said, as oft as you do this, you do remember the Lord's death till he come. And on the first day of the week, right, those uh, women early in the morning, early in the morning, went to the tomb to see that he was not there. Praise be to God. We get really caught up in these holiday, this holiday of Christmas, right? That really, uh, really focuses on us. You know, <laughs> I can't even believe it. Uh, we sing Christmas songs and we go to church and do all that, but we go home and we decorate a tree and we put gifts under that tree. And those gifts are for who? Us, really and truly. They're not for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be something if we precluded the the Easter season? with, or I should say, prefaced that season with the acknowledgement of the Advent and walked from Advent into Easter all at once. That would be, for me, a true celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. Also, at Christmas, we keep him a baby. All the carols talk about this little baby. Well, not all of them. Some, some of them do. Um... And, and, you know, some of them, they, they remember, and I'm not, I'm not disparage, disparaging any of that. I'm simply saying that we, as Christian people, must really think like Christian people. We really should think more spiritually than I think sometimes we think. And I think we mask the, 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 that part of us that thinks on the, or that trends into the world. We pretend or we mask it with these things that seem to be holy. But I do wonder if God sees them as holy, I have to say. And I am not judging anyone but myself, because guess what? In my living room right now is a Christmas tree. 
I got to say to you, this year really hit me when I was looking at it on the altar. I said, oh my, really and truly. Nonetheless, I'm just throwing out thoughts here. May God help us all, because ultimately, we surely do want to enter into the eternal life that he has. I do. Lord God, help me to get there. And it goes on. Uh, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. That's another Isaiah. He does a lot of Isaiah work, uh, scriptures from the book of Isaiah. So I would say if you really want to, <laughs> this is what I did. I, I Luke, Isaiah, Luke, Malachi, uh, Micah, uh, Zechariah, I think is, is quoted here. John is quoted, the, the um, gospel. And the, the Revelation, of course, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Some quotes from Psalms, uh, some quotes from... Romans, one from Romans. And um, like I said, the book of the Revelation. Uh, it's, it's a, oh, even one from Corinthians is in here. So if you want to remember scripture, I remember one morning uh, when the Lord would call me at 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I would go downstairs with my Bible and my um, hymnal and with the hymnal on one side of the coffee table and my Bible just on the top of it, I would, uh, you know, be talked to and taught of the Lord all by myself in those early morning hours. And one morning I said, Father, please give me melody for these scriptures that I want to recall. And he did. He said, everyone and so many more. So I have a few songs that of scripture of myself, straight scripture. And I know God can do miraculous things. And all those that he set to music, you know, nobody ever sang them but me, but I did, uh, I do, I do write, write a little bit so I could, you know, note them. And my girlfriend would play them. And they are in my head to, to Till today, they, you know, I remember. So I'm saying if you want to remember a good deal of scripture, you might even just listen to it for that purpose. Now, it is of a, a more, um, we say classical. I got to find another word for that because it's, it, it, well, anyway, classical is familiar, but it is a composition of uh, music that is, a high music for the church. If you've ever been to uh, a Catholic mass, a high mass at, at a, in a Catholic church, you hear music that has been composed in such a way. And so there are different genres of music, right? This is not in any way a popular tune. So you will um, have to listen a couple of times, I'm sure, to get it. But if you get it, you've got scripture, you've got God's word. And in that way, we can hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Amen, amen, amen. So we have Shrees and we have uh, Intermaking. Entered. Oh, God bless all of you. It's so good to have you here. Thank you much, Miss Teeny. And um, if anyone has anyone anything to say, you know, if you want to make any comments as I'm talking, by all means, do. 
remember. Now, he goes through the first part. The whole first part really has a, a lot to do with the coming of Christ. And, and so the birth is included and the uh, prophecies about the coming of Christ from the Old Testament are there. Uh, Matthew 11 is there. I love it. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's, it's just a tremendous work. But the, the, I'm, I'm going through this and I'm calling our attention to this one piece because um, I, I, I want to, to quote someone on my because here. I read a an editor, a, 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 I'm sorry, a essay opinion published in the New York Times on December 24th this year. And the guy does a review of how, you know, so many people have changed it up, you know, and they do like, that was a, what was that hooked on my Messiah or something that came out and said, it was like, like terrible. I, I couldn't even believe that they tried to do that, you know, just, uh, it, it, in an attempt to bring it into so the 20th century, they hipped it up or something. I, I think that that is a not good thing. I would never do that to someone else's work. I either like the work as it is or I don't like the work at all. But all the, you know, the, the frivolous ways that you can hear the Messiah can be a little bit crazy. So I tend to look for <laughs> uh, those who are performing it in, the, in its true form, you know, like I'm a purist that way. I just like it like it is. And um, but even however they do it, you know, you can't get too far from the score because it's not easy music. However they do it, it is done and it is just piped out throughout the world. So Jennings desire came true. God gave him the desire of his heart in that. He took one of the finest composers of his day. In fact, they would, in terms of the dramatic import to to music, he was the finest, uh, according to you know those people that I've read. And he says now, this guy uh, Walter Matthew Walter, who published this essay in the New York Times, says Messiah is now the common property of the entire human race a jewel in the crown of the Anglican cultural tradition that has become not only the source of recessional hymns for Catholics, but also an indelible symbol of Christmas for millions of non-Christians. In the words of the oratorio's first chorus, taken from the book of Isaiah, all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And it's the truth, but it's not it. It's him. All flesh shall see him. I think it's, it's, it's him together from the book of Isaiah. And this this work has held its um, significance in giving forth the gospel for centuries. And I find that tremendous, especially since it is the gospel. It is not necessarily all that tremendous that the music has lived. It's tremendous that music that tells the gospel has lived, right? Because we have music from great composers that has lived the decades. But gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ being piped out, being sung by believers and non-believers all over the world is to me quite miraculous. And that's what can happen when we yield ourselves to the Lord. Every bit of who we are, when you give it to him 
and you say, Father, what do you want to do with this gift? I know he will tell you. At 28 years old, dancing, I felt like I was uh, playing all the time. That's that's what dads had come to for me. Like a little girl still in the schoolyard playing. That's how I felt. And that's what I said. Lord, this is, I'm just playing. I don't know what to do with this, right? And I stopped. I didn't dance for six years. I didn't think about dancing for six years. If you are a dancer, you do not stop for any years, let alone six. And then one day, as if my body needed to be stretched from top to bottom, it was reborn in me. But the Lord told me what he, you know, he gave me a, he preached a sermon in my head. I knew what I was to do. And that's what I did. And in that, I found purpose. No longer playing around. It was a matter of seriously sharing worship and the gospel when we could through the uh, compilations that we, you know, pulled together. Sharing our love of the Lord and to some degree, some of the stories that shape the Christian gospel story. He will use you to his own glory, for his own purposes, for his own um, reasons, and that for the good of others. Remember, it is written in the book of um, Corinthians, I think, uh, 12, that the gifts of God are to profit. They're not for us only, but they're to profit everyone. So when we submit ourselves to the Lord in faith and, and just, you know, um, humility, he will make something of all that we are. And when you think that what you have is really minute and small, think again. God is neither minute nor small. I don't think he can do anything on a minute or small uh, scale. I think that everything God does is big, really big. And some stories, when told, exalt him, even though the person telling the story has little renown. They're not famous people until they give that testimony. And then suddenly, their lives are magnified right before us. I encourage us all I'm using this magnificent piece, right, just to encourage us. His father didn't want him to do it, did not want him in music, and tried to keep him out, moved all of the pianos out of the house, would not let him go where he thought there was a piano because he didn't want him to develop this gift. But God had another plan and another idea. And Handel, the very thing that his father thought he would be, I guess, destitute and poor for the rest of his life, Candle always had more than enough. Today in the uh, interview that I heard with this woman who was at the, the big society over there, the house, the director of the house, Handel was living really big 
because he had commissions from the king or the queen or somebody, right? And they were paid to do what they do. That's the unfortunate part in this America in which we live or this world in which we live. You know, you feel like you can't do what you do because nobody's going to give you a dime. I mean, I've, I've experienced that. I've danced more times for nothing than I have for something. And yet God still has taken care of me. I agree. I've had to work too much, but I think some of that is my own fault not trusting him to do it in the, you know, in dance. And he did do it in dance, really and truly. Um, but Handel never wanted from the time, you know, he, he took off. It was commissioned here and commissioned there. And they said he ended up uh, at his, in his, you know, not so popular era, having the, um, having the um, sum of about a million dollars in today's money. <laughs> Right. May God be praised. That's all I want to say to you tonight. Uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. But in exalting you, he also, I believe, brings glory to himself. David's creative voice was dancing and singing too. <laughs> well, I yes, yes, David was a, a harpist or, you know, an instrumentalist, and he uh, composed all those psalms for sure. And even beyond that, David would say that Handel wrote the oratorial Saul. And so just to, you know, get more familiar with more of his pieces, I listened to that one tonight or earlier this, this afternoon and David was a, a man of great humility and he was the best king the world has ever known. And you are right. He submitted himself to God. David's faith was faith like no other. He, he you know, he, I don't know if he exceeded the faith of all men because Moses had to have a good deal of faith as well and the prophets, you know, and the disciples. But uh, David was just a humble man under the hand of God. And God did exalt him. And God knew him as a shepherd boy, the least of all his brothers. And the Lord exalted and took care of David all the days of his life. I think it's an amazing life we live day by day. That's why I call this series Day by Day. Because it's every day that you are alive and I am alive, that we are living out a life that has been bequeathed to us. It is the life given to us. And if we don't seek the Lord, years can pass, wasted. Oh, I have tears still for the lives that I have seen pass through this time and never have uh, experienced or achieved to the greatness of what I saw before my eyes. And if I saw their greatness, what did God see? Given that he gave the gift to them. Oh Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, open our blind eyes so that we too can see the greatness of your impartation to us, so that we can hear your voice, your 
guiding by your spirit so that, Father, we walk in the way of your plan. And that, Lord God, by your purifying the greatness of our sufferings that bring us, Lord God, to be established, may we, Lord, humble ourselves and receive at your hand that we may not think too highly of ourselves, but we will always know that we are the recipients of life. We did not make ourselves. We have not gifted ourselves. We have been given the stewardship of the gift. And therefore, Lord God, please, I pray that you will give us what we need to be faithful and to understand that we really are the recipients of your grace, your mercy, your love, your great salvation, your deliverance and eternal life that comes when we indeed accept it all. I pray for me, I pray for everyone in this uh, live audience, I pray for all those who will hear that I will not get a chance to meet and I trust you, Father, to take the message. And I trust you, Lord God, to open deaf ears and that those ears will hear your voice, not mine, in the name of Jesus. They will see your salvation. I have nothing to give except me to you, me to you, God, me to you, Father. You do the rest. For all those who hear, if they will just Close their eyes. Meditate on what you have allowed them to hear. And if they do not know you, Father, in the moment, they will ask for you to enter in. Forgive them of the sins. Recognize that they need you and come to know you. Oh, God, being forgiven of all sins, being, Lord God, infused with hope and light and know, Lord, that this is not the end of the matter. This life is leading us to an eternity in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it. Your word says that you're not willing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance and in that, I give you thanks for doing what we ask, for it is your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, blessings. Praise be to God. Amen, amen, and amen. And I declare, if I could have downloaded um, some excerpts from the song everybody probably has heard, the Hallelujah, course. But you haven't heard, probably, maybe, I don't know. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned each one to his own way. Maybe you didn't hear, um, he shall purify. Maybe you haven't heard, or maybe you've not even read these scriptures. Maybe you have not read that uh read of the Revelation scriptures that says, worthy is the Lamb 
to receive blessing and honor and glory and power. Maybe you have not. And surely, if you listen to this Messiah, you won't stop there. (laughs) These are just chosen scriptures to tell the story. But the whole word of God is encased in this book we call the Bible. And if you read the whole word, the, the, the amazing interrelation between these scriptures will reveal so much more. This is just the beginning. May God be praised. I thank you so much for coming. And as always, the Lord sets a table and we are allowed to dine there. And it's a good meal. It's a good meal. May we savor it and be grateful for it and be nourished by it that we may live day by day submitted to our Father in the name of Jesus. With that, my darlings, I thank you so much for being with me. And I pray it always, yeah, I hope you had a beautiful Christmas day, right? I hope this holiday season draws you closer to God and to family and to friends. And I pray that you are praying for this world because it is not getting better. We are facing perilous times. The Bible warns us that it won't get better. So I pray that you are praying that we are unified in prayer in the Spirit of God and that you by your witness will encourage someone else to see who God is and come to their salvation. I pray for you to have a wonderful rest of the, you know, the holiday season. I work at schools all the time, so I always get this this time off here and that you will come back next week when we shall be already in the new year and that you'll have a very safe and wonderful celebration of that time on January 1st. Have a great evening, morning, or afternoon, wherever you are in the world. God bless you. I'll see you next time. Good night.